Uh, here we go. Welcome to Breathing Flames, the tabletop gaming podcast from IslayTheDragon.com. I'm John, also known as Farmer Lenny on I Slay the Dragon, and today we'll be talking about the price of aesthetics. It's perhaps inevitable that prices slowly rise to account for inflation, but in the board gaming hobby, prices have skyrocketed the last several years. Whereas a standard Euro game used to cost around $40, now prices are more like $50, $60, or even higher, without taking into account deluxe editions and Kickstarters with miniatures. Yet with this rise in price, we've also seen a rise in aesthetic quality. Frowning medieval lords and dreary browns are giving way to richer, more vibrant art. This raises the question, what is the price of pretty? Why do games seem to be following this trajectory? And what would induce us to pay a premium for a game? With me to explore this topic are fellow dragon slayers Alex. Hello. And Wolfie. Still me. So, let's begin. How much do aesthetics matter to you in a board game? Alex, let's start with you because I know this is a topic very near and dear to your heart. It means everything to me. If the game isn't pretty, I don't even give it a second look. That's not entirely true, but I do have a predilection for pretty things. As my vision deteriorates over time, I value more and more looking at pretty things. And when I look at my games on my shelf, I like the ones that are vibrant, the ones that have attractive art, they stand out to me, and they inevitably come off the shelf more often than the games that are drab and dreary that's it (laughs) wolfie how much do aesthetics (laughs) this podcast is over right (laughs) that's all there needs to be said moving on i like games to look nice it's fun when they look pretty i definitely prefer polished fully published games versus anything that's print or play or rough or whatever. I also like things to be functional and I have encountered many a game that is very beautiful and that makes it hard to see important things that you need to see to play the game or like icons are hidden or just obtuse because they look so nice it's kind of a balancing act. I would rather have a nicer looking game. I'd rather have miniatures if it makes sense for the game, but I would also rather have a game that is designed uh, for, for function and use over just purely aesthetics. I am someone who values mechanisms. And so for me, the aesthetics, at least I say the aesthetics don't matter. And really, I've been conditioned that way because my favorite publisher is Rio Grande Games, and they have some of the ugliest games on the market. If you want to know what I'm talking about, you can look at the new editions of Trans Europa <laughs> and their new game Coal Country, which, yes, was released just this last year. <laughs> and the cover is just, uh, I don't know who was asleep at the Switch when that cover was designed. So, of course, I would prefer something to be beautiful than not but for me it's kind of icing on the cake rather than a necessity of course i say that and then i think of one guy who comes to my gaming group and he makes fun of me because of how shallow i am because i comment on things like art that a game is ugly and he's thinking well what's the big deal he plays 18xx games primarily um (laughs) i do think 
you know, I, I had a copy of The Mind that I ordered from Germany, and I still have it. But then I saw Pandasaurus's new printing of the game, which uses the same numbered cards, and it has beautiful, beautiful art on it. And so I picked up that version, and now that's the deck that I play The Mind with. So, I mean, I'm not immune to aesthetics. I prefer them to be nice, but I don't know that I always go out of my way to make sure something looks nice. Yeah, and as gamers, I think we all look at how a game plays and functions primarily. But I think my appreciation for visuals and art and production in board games has actually grown as I have spent more and more time gaming. In the beginning, it was all about just trying different games wherever I can get them, picking them up, playing them. No matter what they looked like, no matter what the subject or topic was, I was kind of feeling my way around on the games that I wanted. As I figured out which games I actually enjoy, now I can cater my tastes towards those specific games, plus add on on top of that games that happen to be pretty as well. Yeah, there's no shortage of games these days. It's it's funny because when we started I Slay the Dragon in what, 2000, 2010, 2011, Kickstarter was just kind of starting. And at that point, once the first Kickstarters rolled in that you know people backed, they realized, oh, these these components are subpar. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the development isn't there. And it, there there was kind of a when when someone said, oh, that's a Kickstarter game, it wasn't a positive thing. It was, oh, <laughs> what, you know, what's this mess that was sent to me in the mail? And now it's kind of interesting because I, I feel like the perception of Kickstarter has changed. Where now, when I hear that something is a Kickstarter game, sometimes I'm expecting a steaming pile of <laughs> of dreck, but. A lot of times what I'm thinking is, oh, if it's coming through Kickstarter, it's probably going to be expensive and overproduced, or at least just, <laughs> I suppose that's the cynical side of me talking, but it's maybe it's, you know, a deluxe version or a premium version. Yeah, I think that's a symptom of the platform. That's a primarily visual sell. You can't easily portray what a game is going to play like, but you can easily portray what a game is going to look like, how it's going to feel in your hands by having 3D renders, animated GIFs, and video right up top. You can at least show what it's going to look like and hopefully sell the audience on that fact. It's a lot harder to sell a game based on its merits as a game on Kickstarter. Although I think that's part of what's behind the new phenomenon Kickstarter, which is releasing reprints through Kickstarter. In that sense, you don't have to advertise for the gameplay of a game because something that's been out of print forever, like Noya Heimat, which is being reprinted as The Estates, or the new edition of Eclipse, these are known quantities, or at least they've been talked about enough that people, in a sense, kind of know what they're getting with the gameplay. And now they just see, oh, it looks better than it used to, or it's finally available and it wasn't before. Even though it is a visual platform, a lot of these reprints kind of sell themselves in the gameplay department. Yeah, that's a good observation. And what comes in hand with that is an elevated price point. And we're seeing time and time again that people are willing to pay more for the same game, but with higher production values, with better art, with better components. And I guess, and today we're going to discuss a little bit on how much we are willing to spend and what's the price points and what's our limits on how much we're going to spend on those prettier versions. So have you ever backed any of these new reprinted editions? I backed the the Deluxified edition of Gentis against my better judgment because Deluxified is a terrible, <laughs> terrible term. 
but I, I did back the the Tasty Minstrel Kickstarter for that, and I backed the Endeavor Kickstarter for the new edition. That one primarily because I I don't have a previous edition of Endeavor, and it didn't seem like that much of a difference between the price tag and the premium edition and the not premium edition. If you had those original editions available to you at a lower price point, would you consider those? For me, probably not. But you never know because I. It depends on how much how much I like a game because usually I'm not willing to upgrade an edition. But when the new edition of Medici came out, I already had. Well, first I had a first edition copy of Medici and I sold it because it was terrible <laughs> because that one was was hardly even usable. I bought a second edition copy of Medici and then when the third edition was released on Kickstarter, I was completely ready for that one. I mean, I, I will upgrade occasionally, but most of the time, if I already have it, unless there's a new gameplay element or unless there's potential for expansion or something, I'll usually leave it leave it where it is unless I can fetch a price for the for the old edition. And what about you, Wolfie? I know you had your eyes on the second edition of Eclipse. Yeah, I have not actually backed on Kickstarter any premium editions or really I don't do Kickstarter very much. I did intend to back Eclipse 2.0. I enjoy Eclipse. I had the original version, played it a bunch, uh, liked it. And I actually sold my copy in anticipation of getting the new edition. And then when the Kickstarter went live, it ran sooner than I expected. And I did not have the uh, funding on hand, shall we say, to, to back it at that time. Because one of you mentioned earlier that premium editions do tend to be higher price, which is fine. And I think... Kickstarter is a natural breeding ground for that kind of thing because people who tend to back games on Kickstarter have the extra money lying around, so to speak, to risk. You know, whether you're whether you're backing a game you've never played before or you're backing a brand new edition of a game you know you like, you tend to have extra cash lying around that you're willing to risk. So that's kind of if you're tight on the on the money you have to spend on fun things, you know, board gaming is a, it's a luxury item. You don't need board games to survive. You don't need Kickstarter board games to survive. You don't need Kickstarter board games to even participate in the hobby. There are plenty of games you can just go to the store and buy. So it's a luxury item that people going to Kickstarter tend to have the cash lying around to give to the projects that could turn out to be terrible games or could fail or could take three extra years to deliver. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not really me, but that is the kind of person who would drop extra money to buy a deluxe edition that has shiny gold miniatures and three dimensional pigs. And I don't know what else <laughs> I was trying to think of like, like I like nice components. I like miniatures <laughs> Most of my favorite games have fancy 3D spaceships and stuff like that. But other than like just the game having that kind of stuff, I don't own a lot of fancy deluxe editions or anything that's a level above what you could just buy normally at the store. Yeah, even aside from all the deluxe 
I'm sorry, deluxified editions uh. and <laughs> and the special upgraded editions. I'm still believe that there should be a quality standard in terms of at least artwork and graphic design. I think those are going to pull me in above all else. But I do have a really strong affinity for just, you know, high quality materials. And it doesn't have to be little plastic dolls or figurines. It can just be in in cardboard. You, You can do really nice things with paper. I think the first example that really sold me on premium quality components is the Eagle Griffin edition of The Gallerist. And this isn't a really big flashy game. It's not going to wow you away with with out-of-this-world components. It's really mostly just cardboard tokens and shits and player boards, but they're done up to an incredible standard. They all have really nice finishes. They're some of the thickest tokens you'll play around with. They have nice heft to them. The wooden pawns are really nice and elegant and tall and striking. And the artwork is done by Ian O'Toole, who's one of the premier board game artists that you would see out there. And it's just really nicely done, really well laid out. And when I played it, I felt like I was playing a premium product and it felt invested in it. It even goes so far to having this really large box that looks like uh, artwork that on canvas that can be almost displayed on your wall. It sold me on the experience before we even started playing. I've been reading a book called The Revenge of Analog by David Sack. He basically goes through different media that people have said are dead and showing, no, now there's this resurgence. And one of the things that he talks about in the book is vinyl, uh, vinyl records. And he was saying that after iPods came along and everyone could have whatever song they wanted at the at their fingertips that the impulse to go back to a physical product was stronger just because the limitation of the physical and having the the physical object that you could produce and and pull out the idea of having a library that you could go to a limited library and just you could browse through browse through and see to me it sounds like and I, and from from talking with you before Alex it sounds like that's kind of where you're at that you like having a pretty object that more than just being a functional game that you can play there's something to having a beautiful object in your home would you say that's the case oh most definitely these are things that are sitting in my home on shelves that are visible by anyone that comes to visit and I can either have something like the gallerists on my shelf and they can look at that and appreciate it, or I can have something like Concordia on my shelf and they're kind of (laughs) averting their eyes so that their soul is not stolen by that woman. Until they play Concordia, in which case they're like, why have I not played this game before? It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun and it's easy to make fun of ugly games because they kind of, because they warrant it, basically. (laughs) But I own plenty of ugly games. I do own Concordia. I do own Race for the Galaxy. I do own 4X. I bought Neanderthal from Sierra Madre Games. These are, by all measures, pretty ugly games. Um, Not pretty ugly. They are ugly games. But I own them because the experience that the games give me are something that I can't get anywhere else. I appreciate them as games. But I wish that I could appreciate all my games as not just games, but also those those beautiful objects like you mentioned. It's funny, though, because you talk about that. And my experience of having games around is different because for me, we don't have a lot of space and there are there are three children running around (laughs) who will destroy anything that's in their path. So for me, my board games are tucked away where they can't get at them. 
And so I, I'm wondering if that's if that's part of why I don't care as much. I mean, they're not on display. They're only basically seen when I bring them down to play. There's really no browsing that goes on on my shelves. I don't know if that matters. Obviously, I, I said it and I mean it. I like pretty games better than not pretty games. It's just not a priority for me. Sure. No, that's a really interesting thought. And it might be just a function of me having my displays out in the open. If I did find room in my closet, then it could be different. I'm not sure about that. But I do know that if there is an offer of an upgraded edition of a deluxe edition versus just the regular edition, I'm going to be more inclined towards the deluxe edition, that premium product. Some of the limiting factors in the games that I in the amount of games that I own is space, time, and money. And every time I'm purchasing a new game, I have to balance those those facts. And yes, the pretty game is going to cost more money. I'm willing to spend that money versus taking up space with uglier games in my collection, I guess. Now, we've been talking about primarily deluxe editions that someone puts together for you. So the Gallerist, for example, was on Kickstarter. I know that Eagle Griffin has released a lot of beautiful deluxe editions of games, but they've done them primarily through Kickstarter. Do either of you kind of deluxify? Oh, there's that word. <laughs> um, do you find ways to make your own games premium, even if they're not released that way from the publisher? I do like the idea conceptually, but at least right now, I too have kids and they cost money. And I have other financial goals in other areas of life. I know, I know, board games should come first. But <laughs> at the moment, it's usually not worth spending that money, even if it would be cool to buy like, you know, like metal coins, I think are really cool. Or just like the, the resource tokens that are that are like detailed and painted instead of just cubes of different colors. Like those are cool. I would enjoy having those in my games. They add a level of tactile interaction and immersion that's it's neat, but it's not worth the financial price for me right now. Mm-hmm. I do have a friend who is kind of a beginner minis painter. So if a game has minis and I intend on keeping the game, I will give my minis to him and he'll paint them and that kind of adds something to the game. And especially if, if all the miniatures in the box are gray, having them painted can actually help distinguish them on the board and make it easier to see which piece is what. So that's that's kind of practical as well as adding some adding some value. And then the other thing I add is storage. I like to be able to get a, a game from the box to the table and back as quickly as possible. Um, so I'm not spending 20 minutes setting up a game or taking down a game. So I try to find storage compartments, little plastic containers that are small that, you know, you can fit pieces in that you can use as little cups during the game. So you don't have components scattered over. So that's kind of my enhancement of choice is just to buy storage containers that make it easier to set up and take down and store. There is something beautiful and almost zen-like of (laughs) everything has its place. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I guess that's one of the, one of the things that's showing up more in deluxe editions of games too, is uh, custom inserts. I know game trays has provided inserts before. I'm looking forward to the one that comes with Endeavor, for example. 
yeah, a big draw for me for Eclipse 2.0, which I will be buying at some point as soon as I can, as soon as it's in stores, is all of the trays that are included to keep the cubes in place. And not only during gameplay, but storing, but most importantly for gameplay, just like there's so many cubes and little tiles everywhere. Having those trays built into the game is just great. Yeah, that's a huge enhancement. I think that's my favorite recent innovation in board gaming is having those little recessed indentations. It's just so satisfying to drop a little cube in it. You see it mm-hmm. just nestled in that in its little cubby there. Um, I think Scythe probably popularized it, but now you're seeing more and more everywhere. I would pay uh, probably 10, 20% more in, in for a game <laughs> just because it has little recessed cubes. That's probably half the reason I play Scythe is it's just so satisfying <laughs> to put the cubes and resources where they go. Yeah, and, and so when I talk about beauty, it's not just visual. I think there's a tactile element like you, you mentioned earlier, uh, John. When you're touching something, when you're manipulating something, it's a reminder that we're playing a game in a physical space. We're interacting with this physical object and we're moving these physical things around. Anything that can enhance that, that can connect you to that experience, I'm willing to pay a premium for it. I mean, there's within reason, like uh, Wolfie brought up Eclipse 2.0. I'm not the biggest fan of Eclipse in the first place, but I was willing to give it a second shot until I saw the price point with starting at $100 plus shipping. And that was just a little bit beyond me. So I always do have to balance wanting something great and premium with that price point value proposition that's what usually scares me off the deluxe edition kickstarters is i'm thinking oh that looks like a fun game but then i think do i like it enough to merit having a deluxe version i was wrestling with that when i was considering backing gentis and i'm still not certain if 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 i'm going to end up keeping it just because it looks like a fun game does it look like a game that i'm going to want to play over and over and over again and if it's not is it worth is it worth the expenditure? There are some games that I know are worth the expenditure. So for example, El Grande is, let's face it, kind of ugly. I almost didn't buy it in the first place just because it was ugly. But that's a game that I have loved. I've played many times and it's one that I know that I'll be keeping around. Would I be willing to pay for a deluxe edition of that? I guess even there, it depends on the money. It doesn't get played all that often now. Is it worth $100 so that the few times it comes out in the next in the next year, it's you know, more beautiful, more tactile. I don't know. It's not an easy equation every time that I go into it thinking, is it worth the amount that's being asked? Yeah, it's not an easy formula. You can't say, oh, I'm going to spend $80 no matter what. Sometimes a project comes along that just blows you away in terms of production and it's you have a, a solid pedigree behind it and it's $90 and you say, well, I set a limit at 80, so I can't bypass that. It's on a case-by-case basis. And as much as we're talking about production and, and components and art and stuff, the publishers especially will have you reminded that you're not just paying for cardboard pieces. You're also paying for design and, mm-hmm. and development and production chains and customer support. Of course, there's always an element that you're paying for the designer's ideas. But games don't exist in a vacuum. Their price points don't ex- exist mm-hmm. in a vacuum. We've kind of come with this expectation that a typical board game is going to be about $60, $60 for just a typical big box game. 
Uh, once you start moving past that, then you have to second guess it. Uh, one of the biggest examples that had me second guessing the price point recently was Heaven and Ale. Mm-hmm. It's a game that I've enjoyed playing, but when I look at what's included in the box, I don't see $70 worth of stuff in there. And I know that's not the thing that I should be looking at primarily, but I can't help but notice it. It's true. I think that a chief offender here for me is Bezier Games. Every time I think, oh, that game looks interesting, and then I see the price point, I'm thinking, it, even, even if it's a good game, I feel like I'm being ripped off <laughs> compared to the similarly priced games elsewhere. And I know that that's not fair. I, I did purchase Heaven and Ale for online game store prices. <laughs> you know, I, I, I will do it. I will I will pay more if, if I think a game is really worth it. It's just a question of, I don't know. I, I did the same thing for Queenbrook coming out from Eggert Spiele. Similar thing. It's $70. I'm not sure that it merits the $70 price tag, but I pre-ordered it from Miniature Market. Again, online game store prices. There, there is probably a little part of me that's a little bitter about it. <laughs> like the game has to be extra good to overcome that little uh, sour aftertaste. Right. It has a, mm-hmm. a negative price debt that it's trying to overcome before you even play. So yeah, these are all things to consider, but I would much rather try and overcome the, that price debt as it were, than try and overcome really cheap components and flimsy components. I think that's a harder hurdle for me to clear. One of the big examples for me is a small company called Holland Spiel. And I mean, this is a a tiny little company. It's basically a husband and wife making print on demand games. And their whole philosophy is they're going to make pretty much these bare bones productions, but for games that wouldn't otherwise merit production from any other company. So in that way, it's, it's a noble endeavor. But when I opened one of the games, my first experience with one of their games was in Infamous Traffic. And this was a game, when I received the box, it was just a paper box with a sticker slapped onto it. The sticker was misaligned so that the words folded over the side. The rule book was folded in such a way that it didn't fit back in the box. And then worse comes to worse, I pulled out the map and it was printed on two sheets of paper. And, oh, paper maps are just the absolute worst thing that you could put in a board game, in my opinion. I would have gladly paid $15, $20 for a mounted map. And it had a really tough hurdle for me to to clear in order for me to even sit down and play the game. Once I did, I enjoyed it. I had fun. But I actually went through the trouble of mounting the map myself in order to get over that obstacle in my way. (laughs) That's love. It's it's love or madness. I'm not sure which. So I didn't back the brass version on Kickstarter, even though it looked beautiful, because I already had the Eagle Griffin edition of brass <laughs> that came with the metal coins. The deluxe edition. <laughs> and I know, I know that I was so tempted by that deluxe edition just because it looked, well, sorry, the Roxley edition, the, the new deluxe edition, the new standard, um, just because it looked so beautiful. But eventually I did, I just decided to stick with the Eagle Eagle one because I thought, is it really worth trying to sell this older edition? Like, am I really that shallow? That's the question I asked myself. <laughs> this is no commentary on you, Alex. This is <laughs> Well, I am that shallow, so that's fine. At, at least you own it and embrace it. For me though, like 
I've taken the coins out of that brass edition and I've used them in a lot of other games. And I find that that's a really nice enhancement. I do like the tactile feel of coins. But now I feel like if a game offers me metal coins, I'm like, well, I've already got metal coins. So it's it's easier to pass on some of those deluxe upgrades when I feel like I've already got kind of a generic set that works with most games. I did the same thing. Power Grid comes with the world's worst paper money. I realize world's worst and paper money often go together with people but no (laughs) if you look at power grid that is literally the world's worst paper money or perhaps i guess maybe it's imperial but so i invested in a set of money cards i used the bird bucks on drive-through cards they're designed by daniel solis and they look beautiful and they've got kind of a quirky character but that's something that's really enhanced games too so I've, i've used it in imperial in power grid in captains of industry and several other games that include hidden funds and it really does kind of enhance the game because no longer are you handling this it just feels nicer to handle those so i i like those upgrades but for me it they need not be provided by the publisher i'm willing to do a little bit of the legwork and it, and just have a generic set i haven't invested in stonemeyer games treasure chest like the realistic resin tokens just because for me that's not a big deal i'm fine with cubes i was born and bred on cubes i don't need uh i don't need these fancy bits but <laughs> The money, since that's often changing hands and is frequently an important part of a game, that's something that I that I really like to have something nice for. Yeah, and probably something that we're not that John and I probably are not as familiar with are miniatures. What about you, Wolfie? <laughs> when you look at a miniature, what what exactly are you looking for? I was uh, I was sitting here thinking about like why don't I like I like games with these cool components. Why don't I have deluxe editions and they're like oh it's just the games that i buy just come with minis and like to do a deluxe edition would cost like five hundred dollars and i'm <laughs> no like few people are gonna buy that uh, <laughs> the best quality miniatures there's like a detail factor and the more detail the better you go from the kind of blobby shaped thing that you can kind of tell is what it's supposed to be to like the detail like you can almost see facial expressions and like cool character enhancing details for me an important thing is silhouettes which not everyone does that very well where you can easily distinguish the different miniatures i think that something publishers often forget is that when we're playing these games with miniatures we're looking down on them. And so they, they may have unique silhouettes when you're staring directly from the side, but when you're looking down, they're all kind of triangle shaped. Uh, and so I often look down on miniatures games. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Because I play Star Wars Armada, and those miniatures are ginormous, for one, and they are just, they're amazing. They're beautiful, they're detailed, they come painted. They just look great. If I had shelf space for them, I would keep all of the ships out on the shelf on display because they just look so good. Um, but that's kind of a special case where the miniature like is the game. And so the best miniatures of just like pieces of a larger board game that I have are actually the fourth edition of Twilight Imperium. <laughs> there's just, there's something... Get your bingo cards. I know, I know I always bring <laughs> this one back in, but. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm not even sure I can pinpoint what's great about them. the the design. The visual design is great. 
the ships are easily distinguished from each other. Um, but it's like a better plastic than most miniatures. So it just like feels really good to hold. It really, it adds to that immersion, to that tactile experience. Many miniatures game not miniatures games, but games with miniatures have passed through my ownership. There are some that just have like lots of things thrown on them, lots of like swords and capes and all sorts of things. It's just like this mass of things sticking out and it's like, okay, those are cool, I guess. But I don't know, they don't feel as as much character so much as just like, what's awesome? Swords and guns, let's stick as many as we can. I've had miniatures that just feel kind of flimsy and the things that stick out bend easily and that kind of ruins it. Miniatures aren't inherently like an amazing game component. I, I do like them because I like the detail. I like the character they add, but done poorly, they just remind you that you're playing a game that is okay. Yeah, I think you've actually helped identify why I'm not so enamored with miniatures. I feel too often they kind of blob together and they, they're hard to distinguish, especially when they're not painted. I just recently played Nexus Ops and they're just a bunch of blobs of little plastic figurines. And I couldn't tell what was a rock monster or what was a mushroom monster. It was just a mash of plastic. Like you said, having a really strong silhouette or going that extra step and getting them painted can go a long way. It would be a less of a turn for me to jump into those miniatures type games. You know, Wolfie, I just got my first miniatures game in the mail last week. What? It's called Container. Well, and the miniature oh, yeah. are these little <laughs> resin containers <laughs> like you'd see on a ship. Like like rectangle shaped? Yeah. And you should see the detail <laughs> on them, man. They look like containers. They're 3D rectangles. That's great. <laughs> that Container is an interesting case for me, though. Container is actually, it's the most expensive game I've purchased. There were some, there were some factors that brought the price down, which was, you know, a boon for me. But the reason I was willing to pay for a container is this game has been out of print. This is the only edition available. And so I bought the jumbo edition. But given the choice, I definitely wouldn't have bought the jumbo edition. The components are really nice. And I, I think, you know, they definitely convey ships and containers and all the things that they're supposed to convey. <laughs> but for me, I would have been just as happy with what I've seen from the previous edition or from a less, a less grandiose version. So for me, I, I guess even there, the gameplay comes first. Does it work? As you were saying, Wolfie, about miniatures, the first thing that you need from a miniature is you need to be able to easily distinguish it from the other miniatures that are on the table. As, as long as it's functional, I guess, I'm, I care less about whether it's gigantic or premium. I'm not in board games for a, a premium <laughs> experience, I guess. From, a, from an economics perspective, as far as I'm not an economics expert, by the way, I do not have a degree in economics, so take what I say with a grain of miniature salts. When the hobby grows and pr like prices going up is, is a sign of the industry growing, from what I understand, and it's kind of an oversimplified idea is you want to sell your product to everyone who's willing to buy it for the 
maximum price that they're willing to pay for it. Obviously, it's it's easy to go down by, you know, you release the game, you have the MSRP, people who want to get it as soon as possible pay that, and then you have sales and other things to, to knock down the price to get people who are who won't pay the full MSRP but are willing to pay a little bit less to get it. So then you, you start to fill in your curve. But then to go the other way is to create these deluxe editions to get the people who are willing to pay even more to pay even more. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's a, it's a growing industry, board gaming, and there are growing pains. I think that the industry has probably gone through the worst of its Kickstarter growing pains. I think maybe the next thing that needs to be, the publishers need to figure out is how to produce these deluxe games and then the normal priced games that maybe the majority of people are willing to pay and then just kind of capture that curve Mm -hmm. better rather than releasing the game and then doing a second edition Kickstarter and then doing a third edition Kickstarter with deluxe components. A lot of times these, the kind of life of a game feels very convoluted where it either starts out with like a super deluxe edition that's really, really expensive. And then you never see the regular edition or you never kind of get the chance to get into the game at a lower price. Mm -hmm. Or you just get like three editions over the course of four or five years. And you're like, wow, like, do I even want to buy this? Because it's a, is it going to be re-released next year and an even better version? So I think, uh, I think that having deluxe editions is overall a good thing for the growth of the hobby, but mm-hmm. it maybe needs to become a little more predictable and a little less convoluted for people to know what to expect and know what they're getting into and get the product that they want to get and know what they're know what they're buying and not have to wonder if they're buying a product that's suddenly going to be much better a year from now or much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you bring up an interesting point in that we've talked about the price in terms of dollar amount of these premium editions, but there's also a cost associated with the the adoption of board gaming. I'm usually not one who's too concerned about the growth of the hobby. But you have to imagine that if someone's first entering into the space and they see a board game that's attractive and kind of captures their attention just visually or physically, and then they see a price tag of about $100, that's that's a pretty big ask of someone who's just getting started when they can go just about anywhere else, any other form of entertainment. They can buy a video game for $30, they can go to the movies for $10, $15, and that's quite a, a big ask. But then I, I see games like Kingdom Death Monster that had a, a three or $400 starting point, and that seemed to have a lot of crossover appeal. So I really wonder how this is going to shake out in terms of gathering new adoptees into board gaming. It seems like for a while the talk was, how do we get our games into Target? How can we make them as cheap as possible to kind of trick mass market people into buying hobby board games and <laughs> now yeah it, it seems like I, I mean there's there's certainly still some of that but it seems like the yeah the equation is flipped in some ways like no we know we're offering a luxury product and like even asmoday's new strategy that they talked about we're raising the prices but we're doing this to give people more the perception that they are buying a luxury 
experience or a luxury good. It kind of goes back to that topic that you brought up, John, about people wanting to go back to things like vinyl. You know, these are these premium experiences. Sure, they can get the same music for a couple of dollars on online somewhere or through a Spotify subscription, but having this premium quality, it seems to having this more broad appeal, especially to the younger generations. Wrapping up, what are the luxury things that you are willing to pay for and how much are you willing to pay for them? I'm willing to pay for a lot of silly things. <laughs> like I mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, I love the little indented cutouts for either tiles or little cubes or resources. I just love those so much. In the new edition of Brass, the sides of the cardboards are actually dyed black so that you don't get the brown cardboard look on the sides. It's such a silly and ridiculous <laughs> upgrade, and I just can't help but love it so much. That it. No, it's it's worth ridicule and mocking because it's it's the minutia of that only a board gamer can appreciate. I mean, no one in their right mind would go around and go, "Oh wow, that cardboard's dyed black. That's really impressive." No, of course not. But someone who's who's been spending the last ten years looking at brown cardboard from the side, I'm like, "Wow, this is new. This is different. I like it." <laughs> Okay, I had seen that on the Kickstarter, and I wondered, like, what, what the heck are they even talking about? <laughs> so, okay, now I now I know who it appeals to. <laughs> what about you, Wolfie? Well, apparently, I'm willing to pay lots of money for Star Wars spaceships. <laughs> Jury's still out on the Super Star Destroyer, but man, is that tempting! And how large is that one? It is. I think it's like eight feet. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's no. like, it's two feet long, I think, which is absurd. It's two, I think it's two feet. That's so big. That is, it makes like, <laughs> when crazy. this, when this game first started, they launched like the, 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 you get the victory class star destroyer in the core box. And I was like, oh, this is so big. Then they released the imperial class star destroyer. And it's like twice as big. And it's just like, what? That is so huge. Like, this is the biggest thing ever. And now it's like the Super Star Destroyer makes that thing look tiny. It's insane. But it's so cool. Then they're going to release so detailed. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know where it goes from. The Rebels don't have any ships that big. So it's like, what's going to happen now? Anyway, besides miniatures, absurd miniatures games, I, I think the, the, probably the number one thing besides cool miniatures, is storage solutions. But not just storage, like like things that store and like help you play the game in an organized way. Mm-hmm. Like like the game tray is for Eclipse, where it's, it's holding the cubes in the box, but it's also, you can just pull out the tray and then all the things are just organized for you and ready to go rather than having to sort a bunch of stuff on the table. Like that kind of stuff, to me, is important because it, it helps you play the game better it helps you focus on playing the game rather than manage the pieces and the games i buy are already kind of blinged out anyway so yeah that's a good point it's us euro gamers who have to <laughs> who have to do yeah extra. you're like weird cubes and tiles you gotta <laughs> try and make that more exciting 
for me, the Endeavor Kickstarter is kind of the example of everything that I'm willing to pay extra for. Because <laughs> Endeavor was a game that I was interested in, but I don't know that I was actually planning to back. But when the things that most attracted me and the things that attract me in general are upgrading cardboard to wood. I really like wooden components. Most of the Euro games, when I started in the hobby, they had wooden components. And that's still something I value, especially heftier, heftier wooden pieces. I know that a lot of games are printed in China now. And the, the wood that is used in these Chinese manufactured games doesn't feel as hefty as the German ones. And that feels like on the level of, I don't like seeing brown cardboard. I like seeing black cardboard. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I guess that's, that's my shallowness, but <laughs> sorry. So I, I like the upgrade from uh, wooden or cardboard to wooden pieces. And I'm also willing to pay a little more for, as Wolfie was saying, storage solutions that are functional, especially functional during gameplay. So Endeavor also has this tile display where you just put everything back and it's already set up for the next game. So those are the things that I'm I'm most willing to shell out money for. I'm usually not willing to pay for miniatures or coins or things like that. But well, there you have it. Now you know all about the things that we are willing to pay extra for, the little baubles, the little <laughs> the little dainties that attract our attention. Thank you to Alex and Wolfie for discussing the price of pretty games with us. You've been listening to the Breathing Flames podcast from IslayTheDragon.com. You can follow our reviews on IslayTheDragon.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google+, on our Board Game Geek Guild. You can tell us why we're right, why we're wrong, what you're willing to pay extra money for. Thank you so much for listening, and keep slaying dragons. Woohoo!